Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, airing every Tuesday. I'm Melanie Blackman, the Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. My guest for today's episode is Jennifer Greenman, the Chief Information Officer for City of Hope. She joined the organization, previously Cancer Treatment Centers of America, in 2019. As CIO, she leads the implementation of technology to meet the broad needs of patients and families who come to the organization for their cancer care, as well as the organization's workforce. During our conversation, Jennifer talks about her role as CIO and how to leverage technology already in place for new and upcoming cancer care needs and the integration of Cancer Treatment Centers of America into City of Hope over the past year. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Jennifer, it's so great to connect with you again this time on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Melanie. I'm, I'm, it's nice to talk to you again, and I'm glad to uh, have a chance to do your podcast. So to start us off, what initially drew you to work in healthcare and information technology? And can you kind of walk me through your career journey a little bit? Sure, happy to. So going way, way back, you know, when I was very young, I would say I had zero ambition toward working in medicine um, or even information technology. When I was in high school, I actually started volunteering at one of our local hospitals to get volunteer hours. And while I was there, I worked in the pharmacy in a hospital, and they surprisingly, after a while, offered me a job as a pharmacy tech in high school. And, you know, at that time, it was like amazing money. You know, I think it was like $8 an hour, which was way, way more than our you know $4 an hour minimum wage, I think, at the time. And it, and it really was a very interesting job to work there in a hospital. It felt very real, very impactful in a way that I think, you know, most normal high school positions wouldn't wouldn't give someone an opportunity to do. So that was my entry into healthcare all the way back at the age of 17. And I continued to work in in both that hospital as well as another hospital pharmacy all the way through high school and even part of the way through college. That time, though, I still had no real strong ambition to work in medicine. After starting my undergraduate education in music, uh, I quickly decided that was not the professional path for me. So I joined the business school at Florida State University, uh, which I very much enjoyed. And graduated, actually, to date myself here, I graduated in 2001, right after September 11th. So the you know, job market at that time was not good, particularly for new college graduates. But a company called Cerner Corporation in Kansas City was hiring a lot of um, new business school graduates from Florida State, or I attended. So was fortunate, very fortunate at the time to have gotten a position with Cerner and learned a lot about um, healthcare software implementation, electronic medical record implementations at a pivotal time, you know, as organizations were moving very rapidly from paper medical records to electronic medical records. So happened to be, you know, the right place at the right time and, and really felt more of a passion as I did starting in high school to work in healthcare and to apply my business, my IT skills uh, in this space. Worked at Cerner for a couple of years. One of my clients during the tenure at Cerner was a hospital called Bayfront Health System down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I loved the team there. I loved the people who worked in the hospital. I felt like I learned more in you know a short time at Bayfront uh, than I had learned really at all in any of my prior years of education or professional experience. So 
joined the health system about 2004 and continued to work there all the way until 2013, progressing from systems analyst all the way through CIO at the time I left. So around 2013, I was ready for you know, more professional growth. Bayfront had been acquired by large for-profit hospital operator at that time and just had my second child. And I thought, you know, this is a great time to look for another professional opportunity. So I was able to get a job at Moffitt Cancer Center in, in Tampa, Florida, which actually was a lot closer to where I lived at the time and was fortunate enough to get a job at Moffitt as senior director. And then much to my surprise, was promoted to the role of CIO at Moffitt about a year later, working for a wonderful leader named Mark Hulls, and worked at Moffitt for Mark for a few years until, his, until he left for a great opportunity. Continued to work at Moffitt until 2019. And at the time, I was also ready for more professional growth, uh, was introduced to Cancer Treatment Centers of America, uh, which is now called City of Hope. And viewed that as an opportunity to impact oncology care at a national level. It was similar in mission, scope, focus, direction as, as what I had had at Moffitt. So it was a great fit for me professionally. I think in all of healthcare, you know, there's this, this intrinsic motivator to help patients, to help advance um, our clinicians' quality of care delivery, our patients' quality of life. And saw that as a, a great opportunity to really influence and make a difference at a national level here at CTCA, now part of City of Hope. You know, having worked at Moffitt, I was familiar with the unique challenges and opportunities that are inherent to this industry and know that, you know, just as the disease burden of cancer on patients and their loved ones is tremendous. I think anyone who has dealt with cancer on a personal level understands that the emotional and cognitive burden experienced by physicians and nurses and scientists who treat them is also significant. So this role, you know, as, as a technology leader for cancer centers makes me feel a profound responsibility to help empower our workforce with digital solutions that can help ease this burden wherever possible so that our clinicians, our scientists are able to cure patients, to improve their quality of life, to pr provide them with some meaningful relief for the experience that, they are, that they're going through, which is tremendous. It sounds like such a great career journey, and I love that you were, you know, introduced to healthcare in high school, but didn't necessarily fall in love with it until later on. I've heard a lot of different stories and a lot of different career journeys from different healthcare executives. And it's always so interesting how diverse the experiences are. So thank you for, for sharing yours. In your current role as CIO, can you talk a little bit about how you choose the best technology to help the organization's workforce and support them, as you had mentioned? And how do you choose the best tech to address the needs of the cancer patients? So in terms of formal methodology, we follow similar practices that you find in, in most other businesses. So we typically collaborate with our business partners or patients or family or caregivers to define problems and opportunities. And then we drill down into functional capabilities that can fulfill their needs. The reality often for those of us in healthcare, probably in other industries as well, is that more often than not, we already have a solution or a platform that can be leveraged to meet these needs. And so our work is usually about creating new applications or workflows with existing platforms and less often new technology acquisition. 
this approach is is always going to be preferred as our existing platforms often have existing interoperability or capable of system integration with the other solutions that we already run within our organization. So the initial effort and the time to value tends to be less than if we were to roll out a, a net new product or service within our organization. When we do have a need to look at novel technology to meet business needs, workforce needs, patient needs, then what we'll do is we'll scan the market for established vendors and identify those that have a track record with success, ideally with other cancer centers, that's typically preferred. Oncology is a highly complex, multidisciplinary care model. So the products that are out there on the market that are tailored to non-oncology conditions, in many cases are not capable or aren't you know, out of the box at least ready to enable the unique data and workflow requirements that we have in oncology care. So while it's not a requirement, it's nothing is certainly across the board, firm, fixed requirement, having a prior experience or at least a strong understanding of cancer care is a significant strength that we often value in our new vendor partners. I will say that, you know, cancer treatment has a number of unique characteristics that require highly specialized technology needs, particularly in these acute care cancer hospital organizations. Our high quality cancer care requires a team approach. And so coordination across the care team can be impacted both positively and negatively with technology. So I personally am energized by the potential opportunity for disruption in the space and looking forward to how we can drive innovation and transformation with new partners, new products, new services applied to our industry. Well, that's really interesting. And and speaking of disruption too, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, AI and chat GPT, et cetera. What are your thoughts on those? And do you plan on using them if you aren't already? So I'm cautiously optimistic on the potential for augmented intelligence in general and generative AI such as chat GPT specifically to improve healthcare. Augmented intelligence is already being utilized fairly broadly for clinical decision support to deliver precision oncology. So for example, just some use cases, certainly not an exhaustive list. Uh, for example, identifying therapeutic options based on a patient's genomic profile. Another example would be supporting radiologists and pathologists in reviewing and evaluating diagnostic imaging. I think it will be a quite some time before generative AI is accepted for use cases beyond administrative and marketing workflows. Um, I think that there would have to be a lot of evidence to back up the efficacy of those tools for clinical use cases broadly, but I am excited about the potential. I think it's something that we in healthcare do need to continue to explore. You know, we are exploring generative AI tools to facilitate large-scale information curation and dissemination for our call center workflows. To be clear, all of it's very early. It's not live yet. I'm still very much in sort of exploratory mode. But I do think it's a significant, a potentially significant opportunity to improve both efficiency and efficacy of these workflows. What pain points are you currently experiencing and hoping to address this year through, you know, technology and new innovations? 
Cancer Treatment Centers of America was acquired by City of Hope um, a little over a year ago, so in February of 2022. We are now nationally recognized and known as City of Hope across all of the markets that we support. So for the past year, we have been focused and prioritizing integration of our legacy CTCA markets with City of Hope. In IT, that has certainly been my top priority. I would not necessarily characterize it as a pain point. I would say it's a very important and necessary part of our transition and operating at scale across all of our markets across the country. The vision of this acquisition was to democratize access to cancer care, bringing cutting edge therapies that are pioneered at City of Hope, which is an NCI designated comprehensive cancer center located in Southern California. Our vision has been to democratize access to these therapies to cancer patients located in communities across the country that we serve, whether those be in the Southern California market where City of Hope has historically operated to our Phoenix, Atlanta, and Chicago markets that CTCA historically has served. So some of the work that we've been doing has been to deploy a common electronic medical record system or platform to all of the legacy CTCA hospitals and clinics. It's been one of my priorities this year, um, something we're extremely excited about, and the opportunity to, to standardize care delivery models, content, bring a, a modern technology platform to our clinicians across the country. Another high priority for us has been to deploy our patient access model across all sites of care, um, leveraging and empowered by technologies such as CRM platforms. And this also will help better standardize the, the intake model for our new patients, again, located in communities across the country. So those have been, again, I would not necessarily characterize them as pain points. I want to be careful to say I think that there are opportunities to you know, really build upon the strengths of our respective organizations to build a leading edge, exceptional care experience for patients, regardless of where, where they're located throughout the country. Absolutely. That sounds like a lot of really great work and, and a lot of great opportunity ahead. What advice do you have for women and others who aspire to be leaders in healthcare and tech? So I can uh, share some of my perspectives or share some of my experiences to the extent that they help others. I hope they do. I can say that I, throughout my career, which is now over 20 years in this industry, I have often struggled with lack of confidence, even sometimes still do today. And sometimes I felt intimidated, particularly in those situations when I was the only female, which is regrettably still quite often, or in cases when I might have been younger than others, which is <laughs> regrettably not as common as it used to be. But, you know, those are situations where, you know, I didn't always feel as confident in delivery. I shared this insecurity once with a, a very wise colleague and she told me to remind myself in these circumstances that I have earned my seat at the table, that everyone brings a unique expertise, a unique value to the conversation and mine is information technology leadership and healthcare. And so this is something, this is advice that I often remind myself in these situations when I feel uncertain or insecure or not as confident as I should be, you know, is that I have earned the right to have my voice heard, to have a seat at the table, to be represented or to represent, I should say, the groups, the teams that I lead and, and share with the folks that are at the table. 
and this has really helped me, you know, bolstering my own confidence to speak up, to be be heard, even at the times when it doesn't feel comfortable to do so. And that, like I said, is still quite frequently, unfortunately, even after, you know, over a decade of being CIO. I've also noticed that some and perhaps many leaders, particularly female leaders, don't always feel comfortable with self-promotion. You know, I know my own case, but I would say this is probably true of others. We can downplay our personal accomplishments and are often inclined to share credit and promote others' accomplishments, um, which, to be clear, I think is a positive trait. It's not something I would ever want to portray as a as negative. Unfortunately, in professional settings, it can, I think, put us at a disadvantage compared to our peers who are very adept at self-promotion. And so my advice for rising and established female leaders, um, or any leader for that matter, I would say it doesn't have to be solely female leaders, but you know, we have to remember that we have a brand, a personal brand, a professional brand, and that it's incumbent on us to promote that brand um, along with the strengths and accomplishments of our teams that we lead, but we cannot neglect the importance of you know, our personal reputation, our professional reputation and profile within the industry. Well, that's wonderful advice. And I've definitely heard a lot of leaders talk about imposter syndrome and how it can show up early on in your career or later on in your career. So I really appreciate your your openness and, and honesty about that. Thank you. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and sharing your expertise on the podcast. My pleasure, Melanie. Thank you very much for the opportunity and good luck. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.